Welcome to a bonus episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brennan Carrion, and today I am joined by my unbelievable co-host, Adam Sink. What up, Adam? Not much. How's everybody doing? Oh, I'm doing well, and we are joined by none other than Sarah Richardson. Is that what you want to be called today, or do you want to go by by your uh, your 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 nom de plume? Um, I answer to either Richardson or Doombringer. Well, uh, I, I like Doombringer. I also use a little bit of a writing name myself, so we're going to go with Sarah Doombringer today. We got Sarah Doombringer from uh, Magpie Games, who uh, has written a lot of different stuff and is running a game at New Mexicon uh, in, what, April, right? Yeah, uh, not too long from now. Yeah, that's coming right up. And uh, I was reading the New Mexicon... Uh, game program, and I found it to be quite peaking, and so I thought we would have uh, Sarah on to talk about it and to do a little bit of talking about gaming just in general. So uh, how are you doing today, Sarah? Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm, I'm doing great. I am busy. Uh, my company is getting ready to uh, launch a Kickstarter in the next couple of weeks, and then with conventions coming up, like, I can tell it is the year has started as far as as gaming goes. Awesome. Awesome. Good. And so uh, you talked about your company. Why don't you go ahead and kind of like introduce yourself to our listeners, to people who maybe aren't familiar with you or your body of work or the company that you represent? Sure. Um, so I am Sarah Doombringer Richardson. Uh, I am currently uh, an in-house developer and marketing director for Magpie Games. Uh, Magpie Games has put out stuff like Urban Shadows, Mass and uh, New Generation, and Atelian, which is Dragons. Uh, and they also put out a game called Bluebeard's Bride, which I am a co-author of. Um, that was put together by Marissa Kelly and Whitney Beltran. And then uh, they also put out a ash can of a game that's going to be coming out eventually called Velvet Glove which is another one of my games where you play teenage girls in a gang in the 1970s. Um, so Magpie just puts out a bunch of indie games, uh, primarily powered by the apocalypse. Um, and I actually got started in the industry doing illustration and layout. Um, but now I get to also make games, which is pretty great. Yeah, I mean that is really great, and it uh it kind of like jumps to sort of like you know one of my further questions, but let's just go right to it. Um, how how did you get into the gaming industry itself? Um, well, like most people, I started as a player, of course. Um, whenever I was a kid, I played AD and D, and uh, I kind of dropped off gaming a little bit because it wasn't as popular whenever I was in middle school and high school. Uh, then I started gaming again. Uh, which eventually led to going to conventions all the time, playing all the time, and then I started GMing and running games, and that really changed things. Uh, after that, next thing I know, I uh, started doing illustration and layouts for people like Raphael Chandler and Dyson Logos and Lamentations of the Flame Princess. 
Uh, oh wow! Okay, <laughs> you're blowing my mind now. What uh, what books of yours? What where have I seen your work? Where have I seen your work for that? Um, well, uh, Jim really gave me like my first real uh, professional job in the industry. Um, I laid out. Uh, a couple of things like England Upturned and No Salvation for Witches, A Single Small Cut. Um, so a, a few supplements. I don't do any freelance work anymore, but if I did, he would totally be who I would approach. That is awesome. That is awesome. So what drew you to Lamentations of the Flame Princess just as a, as a GM and as a player? What do you like about it? What do you get out of that game that you don't find in other games? Well, there's two things, really. Um, the, my first interaction with Lamentations was my partner showing me the book and being like, a, a lot of people are kind of upset about this artwork. What do you think? Um, and I looked at it and I'm like, this is gorgeously rendered artwork with all these women adventurers. Why are they so upset? And it's like, well, it's the violence against women. Um, so whenever I look at Lamentations art, yes, there is solely violence against women and men, but it's because they're active participants. Like they are mutilated and in these terrible situations because they are going out there and adventuring, which I found to be like really inspiring. Um, it's not for everyone, but for me, I thought that was really cool. Um, and then also the fact that it's horror is something that really drew me because um, horror is my favorite genre. Uh, it's a bit of a joke that most of the movies I watch are horror. A lot of the books I read are horror. Uh, and so that first game, Bluebeard's Bride, is a horror game. Yeah, I was kind of looking at some of your catalog and it's uh, it, on, on the New Mexican page, it says that you have... Uh, cult divinity lost uh cred is that right yes um i they hired me to write a quick start um so i don't have any like gossip or details on current development i'm afraid i'm uh, so sorry only one of our questions <laughs> like, tell us everything about cult divinity lost we want to know everything i can say that they were also delightful to work with um they really are good people and um, were very understanding. That was the first time I had written in the universe and they gave me a lot of support. So that was good to see. Um, plus my other, the other quick start authors uh, like Matthew Dawkins and Jacqueline Brick um, are super awesome people. What I can tell you is unlike a lot of adventures for um, uh games going out there currently is mine is contemporary. So my quick start for cult actually deals with a group of urban explorers, a bunch of kids who have decided to break into abandoned places and they broadcast what they're doing on YouTube. And that is how your characters get hooked. You see this woman uh, on YouTube who has gone missing, but there's this viral video of something very strange happening to her. And so your characters go to try and figure out what's going on with this estate and to find these missing urban explorers. That sounds fucking amazing. I love it. <laughs> um, Thank you. I feel I feel like there's all kinds of interesting stuff going on with 
in genre horror with like con- contemporary themes if people are willing to look for it. But so often that genre gets kind of mired in these sort of like, you know, gothic Victorian period piece kind of things. And people aren't really tapping into how scary like the internet is and um, how si- how scary cities are. Like, have you seen The Ritual on Netflix? It was so good. The monster made me so happy. Like it was, it was, it was an awesome movie. I loved the movie. I loved the monster. The monster. I mean, the monster is everybody is talking about. But as I was watching it the whole time, I kept thinking like, this is so much about like fear of the woods and fear of nature. But that whole sense of like the fear of the city seems to have been like an artifact of like the 1990s, and now the horror has shifted over to like um like like fear of nature. So yeah. I'm really stoked for the quick start uh, to to do some of that like city delving. I mean, I love I love that kind of stuff. People are always like, oh, what would vampires be doing in like in the in the <laughs> cities now? I'm like, they'd be afraid of fucking YouTube, right? They'd be afraid of YouTube. <laughs> Um, so where where is that is that kick, quick start available? Uh, not yet. Uh, I know that it's written and edited, and I think they might be doing art now. I haven't seen any of the art yet. Um, but hopefully this year it will be coming out. Well, let's talk more about lamentations because I know I'm getting way off topic here. I'm I'm just geeking out over over horror and cults. So let's talk more about lamentations. Adam, what you got? So what I noticed is in your your Bluebeard's Bride game that you worked on um that's kind of like a slow tensiony atmospheric type of horror where violence isn't necessarily the solution uh to the problems and then uh looking at your game that you have coming up for new mexican it sounds like you kind of took that in a different direction it's still the idea of these aggrieved brides um but now they're much more furious and vengeful what led to that tonal shift is it just the the system you're using or did you do you feel like lamentation supports that better so that that is a great and hilarious question. Um, to, to I specialize in hilarity. <laughs> oh, okay. that's good to know. Um, to give ba- a little bit of background. So in Bluebeard's Bride, which is powered by the Apocalypse, uh, you have up to five players playing one person. They are all the bride. Um, and they're going through Bluebeard's house after the wedding. He abandons her and tells her, you know, it's your house too. Go look through it. Uh, but don't go in my private room. So you go through the house exploring and it, it comes up like, oh, well, he's had previous lives and no one knows what happened to them. And so you go through the house looking to figure out whether or not he killed them. And it's based on a fairy tale. So we kind of know how it ends. Um, yeah. <laughs> so exactly. That game is psychological horror entirely, although there's, there's violence and gore. Um, I, I have been X-carded so many times in that game for pushing stuff too far and people are like, nope, can't handle this. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's a lot about the experience of how women experience horror. And that's why you can't, you don't have a sword. You can't just go in there and kill Bluebeard. Which when I was, uh, developing the game, for my part, uh, unlike my two co-authors, my home group is a lot of like trad and OSR players. So every time we played it, they tried to kill Bluebeard. And so I actually, they helped me write into the game ways to make sure that you can't kill him. Because that's not the point of the game. But it's frustrating. So I have led people through this house, 
you know, dozens and dozens of times and watch them all die. Most of the time you die in the end. Um, watching other women die, watching women be abused, and everyone's always angry at the end. So for fun, I was like, so what if a couple of the brides got loose and like they came back and decided to kill Bluebeard? Like, let's have this cathartic dungeon crawl where you actually get to fight Bluebeard. You might be able to kill him. Oh, nice. So you got to flip the script and kind of turn it around. Yeah. The expectation. That's really cool. Um, so I am actually taking a few mechanics from the original game and uh, kind of putting them on the framework of Lamentations. Um, so, like, all of the pre-made characters will be women. Some of them will be magic users. Some of them will be able to use spells from the supplement Vaginas Are Magic. Because if you've got a group of women magic users, why the fuck would you not use those spells? Yeah, that's a great book. <laughs> I'm so excited to be able to use it. Uh, and so they're going to have to explore Bluebeard's house uh, and get a chance at possibly taking him out. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, I thought when I read the pitch that it was going to be more based on Kill Bill, but it's really interesting to hear that it's based on the Bluebeard's Bride. I mean, obviously there was like a little bit like Venn diagram there, but when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is this is Kill Bill only where like all of the females are trying to kill David Carradine or, <laughs> Carradine or whatever. <laughs> is David? No, sorry. Um, so... So what can you tell us about that game for people who aren't going to get to play in it over that weekend in New Mexico? Now, I think that though, because that's coming up in April, I think that this interview is probably going to release in April. So I don't think it'll be too spoilersy if people are there. I don't think anybody's going to be hearing. So you, you, <laughs> what, 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 uh, what can you tell us about the, that, that game and how you have it structured, what the uh, players will be kind of encountering? Sure. Is it going to be a dungeon crawl, or is it going to be more other things going on? Uh, it it really is a dungeon crawl. Uh, I'm I'm actually opening up my notes. Um, and this probably won't be the only time I run it. But uh, so what I've done is in Bluebeard's Bride, you play five aspects of the one woman's psyche. Not in the idea that she is uh, has multiple personalities or anything. But just in the idea that uh, everybody has conflicting impulses inside them. So we're not going to do that, but I am trying to one-to-one match up character classes with that. So, for example, uh, the witch is obviously a magic user, and the animus is going to be a more fighty kind of character. Um, the other thing that I can tell you I, I was doing research on Bluebeard, and man, that was depressing. <laughs> um, so as they go into the rooms, the, the, the players are going to have to go through rooms in order to collect objects that will help them kill Bluebeard. And each of them is going to have a key, this is all tying back to the original game, that only opens that room. So they have a reason, they have motivation to go through the house. But as you go into each room, whether or not it has an object to help you kill Bluebeard, a magic item, each room, just like in the original game, is inhabited by a dead bride, a former bride of Bluebeard. 
And they frequently have monsters or little helpers um, who are there. And that's who the brides are going to be fighting. So really the question is, it's up to the players whether they want to fight the former brides who are kind of sympathetic, or if they want to try and find a way to lay them to rest. Either way, that's interesting. Oh, good. <laughs> Either way, they'll be able to collect the, the items that lead up to the final confrontation with Bluebeard, who, of course, has been killing women both for a magic ritual and because he just likes it. Because he is he is not a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, this this uh, adventure sounds really great, and you're you're planning on like taking this around, maybe doing this at cons and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I typically run. Um, a couple of my games that I've designed at conventions. And then I always try to get in like at least one game of Lamentations, which honestly is kind of for me, not the players. It's because I love running it. <laughs> oh my God. That's so cool. That is so cool. Um, is there, okay. But is there any chance that this will, you're going to release this adventure as like a zine or like a little module or something? Cause I would love to see it personally. I'd love to have one in my collection. I don't know about you. Ah, well, maybe, I, and I'm sorry, I realize I stepped over your answering. Um, I, I haven't, I, I haven't made it with the intention of publishing it. Um, but I'm also aware that I've already spent more time and energy on it than you typically would for a one-off. Uh, so it might be more likely. <laughs> So, I mean, you could pitch here and say, if you like the idea, you could pick up Bluebeard's Bride, and then I, I could have a little blog post article where I kind of talk about how to uplift that into this type of thing. I think that might even be a great way to go about it, because I got to tell you, I'm super intrigued now in going out and getting Bluebeard's Bride based off of everything that you just told me. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you can get the Bluebeard's Bride book at magpiegames.com, uh, plus we have uh, you know, booths that a lot of conventions we go to. Uh, like, we'll be at Gen Con and everything. Um, and it's, you know, it's a very different game, but in some ways it, it still, for me, has a parallel to Lamentations, because Bluebeard is, is totally horror. Um, and there's a lot of body horror and a lot of really gross, sick shit that happens during the game. Um, so... Yeah. So we'll <laughs> now, um, I'm so happy to hear uh, that you love Lamentations so much. Did you? Did I hear you right? And you said it's your favorite game. Oh, that's really hard. Did you say that, or is it was one of your favorite games? It's that's, definitely I don't mean one. To put it on the spot. It's definitely one. Okay. So uh, now, my 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 perception going into this 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 interview was like, oh well, we're talking to somebody from Magpie Games, and she's published two PBTA games. And I, I thought it was kind of odd and quirky to be finding somebody who I associate with like narrative story games and PBTA in particular was running Lamentations, which is on some level why I like had to talk to you. <laughs> but now that we're talking here, um, I, I I have to ask like so many people consider OSR gaming and story gaming to be these um, contrary forces that are pulling in opposite directions. But you obviously have a solid grounding in both worlds. Um, are they pulling in different directions? Or are they two high sides of the same coin? How do you see that 
those two worlds. Tell tell me what your feelings are. For me, it has always been they're all fucking elf games, right? Like they're different <laughs> tools to do different things. Um. So so yeah, like one of the reasons Mazpai hired me was because I had a different experience than them, and they liked that. Um. So my home group, like I said, like we play trad games, we play OSR, we play indie games. Um, for us, they are just two sides of the same coin. So sometimes I feel like going and pretending to be, you know, a battle babe in the apocalypse, or I probably shouldn't advertise this, but I played a barbarian in a dungeon world game for a year on YouTube where there, we like all dressed up in character and it was ridiculous. <laughs> so sometimes I will go do that, but sometimes I also just want to kill goblins and not have strong feelings. So <laughs> it's it's really just, you know, they do different things and that does not make one better than the other. Uh, All right. Fortunately, it, it seems sometimes I'm in the minority on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't really think that it has to form two camps. I think that both game systems can learn from one another, and there's stuff that you can transplant from one system to the next. Like, I wouldn't be the GM I am at any game if it wasn't for all the other fucking games I played, you know? Right? right? Yeah. Yeah. In a certain sense, I think communities feed on drama, too, which feeds into that an awful lot. It does. And I'm not going to say that, like, it's clear that people have had bad experiences playing more trad and OSR games. But I've had bad experiences playing story games, and I didn't blame all of story games for that. Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know, trad games in particular, just given their their appeal or their mass appeal, you do get a, a lot quirkier people in them sometimes, too, as a result of that, that you can kind of have negative experiences with. I mean, I've had negative experiences in trad games. And it's just, it's, it's weird. It's one of those things where when it happens, you're just kind of like, what was that all about? Well, and it's definitely something that should be pushed back on. I mean, I know that um, for some of my friends talking to them, I am one of the only women they know who regularly GMs at conventions. And I get pushed back on a lot and I will experience things that they are just blown away by. They're like, I can't believe someone said that to you. And I'm like, eh. Like what, for instance? If you could give an example. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah. For instance, here, if we, could, if I could just like set up for our listeners, I think you know, I mean, a lot of um, interplay between like female power and female experience comes into what you write for gaming. That's is is, is that right? Yes. I think that's part of the unique voice that you bring to the genre. Um, but I think that a lot of males. And don't understand that even though we all live on the same planet, like we live in different worlds and that like the male world is very different from the female world. And so do you have like, for instance, some examples you could share with our male listeners as to like things that have happened to you at cons? Just maybe one story, one story. Sure. Like What, what, what kind of pushback do you get at the table? Um, a lot. But one of the clear examples is a couple years ago, me and a, couple, a group of people decided to run a Dungeon World long con. So we were running all Dungeon World, all the same story across multiple tables, more than one session. 
it happened I was the only female GM, along with uh, three other male GMs. And I'm the only one who kept getting asked how many times I've run Dungeon World, how long I've been GMing, uh, having to, at one time, argue with players that I actually did know a rule. So even though all of us were running the same game, I was the only one who was getting questioned as to my expertise or knowledge. Oh, so you were getting credential checked. I was. By these people. Uh, And I probably don't react well to that, even though I try to be polite. I mean, you shouldn't have to, though. You know, (laughs) that's the whole point of it. It's not. It's like, I am here, I am GMing. If you have a problem with how I'm GMing, like, we can talk about that. But starting out by asking me, you know, various things to make sure I'm really a gamer is just incredibly insulting. Yeah, like the equivalent of the guy in the comic shop who's, do you know who Norton Rad is? And you're just like, oh, my gosh, really? I used to write for a comic book website, so yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so, um... From a more kind of just like mechanical standpoint, it's just like as sort of like almost like a GM advice kind of thing. Like um, when you sit down and you're like, you've decided I'm going to write a Lamentations adventure for my group. Now, do you run Lamentations for your group at home? Is that right? I have. Um, okay. Are I, you running it right now? No, we are currently taking a break um, because I have so many conventions to go to. Yeah, my, my my home group's kind of on break right now as well, just because, you know, stuff, life. Um, so so when you do sit down to run Lamentations, or any really like OSR game at all, and if there's any other OSR games that you play, I'd love to hear about what they are and, like, what you get out of them. Um, what uh, What's your... Where, where do you start? Where do you start with the design, the adventure design? What's, like, your kind of impetus and your, your premise? Um, for me... It normally, it starts with um, the main big bad or the main problem. Uh, Like, it wasn't for Lamentations, but I wrote a uh, Monster of the Week hack where you played Hellboy and you went to Innsmouth. Um, So it started with, well, what are the Innsmouth people doing in their day-to-day life that would necessitate government intervention? Um, and then also wanting to make sure that it's integrated with like daily life. Like I wanted the infamous people to feel real. I want the people in a lamentation adventure to feel real. That's why I, I mentioned I was kind of depressed, uh, thinking about the Bluebeard game because I had just done a bunch of research into the motivations of serial killers. So trying to base it as much in reality as I can and making them real people, no matter how gross they are. And then pushing forward from that and being like, oh, well, what if this really terrible person had access to black magic? What would they do? Because some of my favorite adventures are the ones where you find out that it's kind of gray area. The the adventurers come in thinking they're going to solve a problem, and in turn, they just make it worse for somebody. Um. So that's really where I start, because I want the the bad guys and everything to be real. Um, And as far as other games, um, although I've only run it once or twice, I played in a uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game that was amazing um, for quite a while. That was 
super enjoyable. Um, I probably have read more OSR stuff than run it because there's just not enough time or people to run it. I don't know if you two have that same problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's just the problem. That, that's sort of like the post-high school problem where you're just like, you know, I mean, I own hundreds of books and, you know, I'm never going to get to run or even really fully explore what's in half of them. Um, kind of like what, what's your take on the setting of Lamentations? When you, when you sit down to write, where do you begin in terms of what the world looks like and what the world feels like? One of the things I enjoy so much about OSR games is that they're so open and you can really do anything that you want with them. What's, what's the kind of, um, what, what, what do your worlds look like? Whenever I'm running a pre-made Lamentation adventure, um, cause I, I do like, uh, running like Thulean Echoes is so much fun. Um, I will stick with that, uh, you know, traditional preset setting of Fran of, uh, 17th century England. Um, I always introduce guns because why not? And so sticking to that, like, uh, no salvation for witches. I know Raphael put a lot of effort into the, the villages and the witches themselves and so trying to do that justice. Now, my Blood Spattered Brides game is going to be in 14th century France uh, because the original serial killer that Bluebeard, the fairy tale is based on, everyone thinks it's Gilles de Rye. I'm probably murdering his name. Uh, but he was around in the 14th century France. He was actually a friend of Joan of Arc. Um, so the, the game will be set there, which influenced like uh, the names of the NPCs, uh, looking at some French folklore as far as the horrors go, because uh, they have some beautiful things they do with werewolves. Um, so stuff like that. That sounds even better, because I... Um... I really am fascinated by just the historical figure of, of Gilles de Rye, uh, and, and that, that era, uh, in France and just his, his friendship with Joan of Arc and the question of, did he really do these things or were these confessions extracted under torture? Right. Um, and I think he's just a really fascinating character. I mean, so that, that sounds really interesting. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause it's always a little, you know, a little scary whenever you propose, a historical period as a basis instead of just doing like fantasy because fantasy feels safer. You can do anything you want, but then, you know, whenever you start bringing in Gil's Dry and the fact that he sexually abused and killed hundreds of children in pursuit of black magic is like maybe too real. Yeah. But even then I think he's as a, as a figure, he's not all that well known. He's not as well known as like uh, Countess Bathory or yeah. Tepes or one of these famous ones. He's, he's almost kind of skated under the radar for a long time. Yeah. He sounded like a weird yeah, because dude. of his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's gotta be because it's hard to put on a t-shirt. So it sounds like you, you have a lot of experience in these fantasy settings and, and like running things in, and fantasy type of games, but when you're writing things, um, I'm particularly thinking of Velvet Glove and what you told us about your cult adventure, you like to move them into a more modern context. And that's one of the things in gaming that I think that I haven't covered very well is the modern era. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What are your takes on that? And what, what draws you to writing for that time period? 
Mm. Well, it can kind of be boiled down to a lot of it is that I want to see how we can solve problems with current tools. Like there's always, you point at, you know, older horror movies and stuff, and you're like, if those fuckers just had some cell phones, there would not be a problem, right? So I see that kind of as a challenge. Like, how can we work with this where you have all of this technology that has its own downsides um, and because you think that will solve a problem and then it just makes it worse. Um, specifically, Velvet Glove. Originally, I tried, because it's still in development, I tried running it as like super modern. I basically said it in St. Louis, you know, 2010, let's do this. And it's like, it's not fun. Like, you have to have a little bit of distance somehow. Uh, because playing one-to-one isn't fun. You need a, a metaphor, I guess, is the way to put it. So putting that sheen, that gloss of 70s over it, where you start getting exploitation movies and everything's a little hyper-realistic and, and bigger than life and bold, saturated colors, then it becomes less immediately awful when there's a you know 30-year-old guy who's hitting on a 14-year-old. Um, so it really was like the breakthrough was setting uh, Velvet Glove in the 70s because also like then you get to play with the time of change, the civil rights movement, uh, sexuality and liberation, like all these things are going on. So you have external pressures as well as internal pressures. And that's something that we get a little bit more with modern settings that it's harder to have in older settings, unless you're like super historian who knows all of it, you know? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes absolutely perfect sense. How is it that you didn't end up being a World of Darkness gamer? (laughs) (laughs) It just seems like, I mean, you you have all the the sort of like cred of a World of Darkness gamer, but you seem to have missed, missed that whole experience entirely. Or is there a story in there? Um, that's hilarious. So, um, not, not very many people pick up on that. So kudos to you. I think that world of darkness either did not hit St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it, it, I know it hit like around St. Louis. I don't know if it hit parts of St. Louis where I just didn't live. Um, but the time period where I, I know other women my age played world of darkness, I was not gaming. Um, because at that time in St. Louis, it was only dudes gamed, and if you did game, you were probably a Satanist. <laughs> um, yeah, which I did get that from one neighbor who her, her kids weren't allowed to play with me. That was fun. Um, so I skipped World of Darkness completely, and the only World of Darkness tabletop game I've ever played is Changeling, and that was like six years ago. So it's pretty recent. <laughs> Is that the one with the green book, or is that the one with the stained cover, stained stained glass? The green one, stained the lost. Yeah. Yeah, that's a legit horror game. That's a legit horror game. There was sort of a weird problem with uh, some of the uh, later World of Darkness books from the '90s, where they didn't, they forgot that they were supposed to be horror games, or they sort of started having this identity crisis. But when they started doing the world, the the uh, second edition ones, um, or the new versions, I guess. Yeah, the Chronicles of Darkness ones. They kind of fixed it a lot, and uh, that Changeling game—that's a le- that's a legit horror game. 
And I mean, that's once again, one reason I was interested in it, because I am into fairy tales, like hardcore, and I'm into horror. And there is a overlap of fairy tales and horror that not everyone gets. Um, <laughs> that They're like the original horror stories, right? Yeah. From, you know? Yeah, they were the original let us instruct you of the worst things that could happen to make sure you stay in line stories. Um, so yeah, so I played Changing for a while and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but that is the only World of Darkness game I've ever played. I just, I ended up being more like OD&D and uh, stuff like that. Until I stumbled cool, into cool. a room and started playing Apocalypse World. But yeah. How that happened? So okay, that's a story. I, I'm, now I want to hear that. Uh, it's not much of a story. We were at Gen Con. It was before I started designing. It may have been before I started GMing. And um, we wandered by the games on demand room because we're like, let's see. We've played Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. We tried to play D and D, and it sucked. Playing D and D at Gen Con is complete roll of the dice whether or not you'll have a good GM. And uh, we're like, hey, let's let's go look at these indie games and see what's up. Uh, and we saw one like, oh, you get to play in the apocalypse. Yes. We love Mad Max. Let's play that. Um, and I had never experienced anything quite like that. It was just really uh, world-changing to have the freedom and the moves and uh, just the whole story sold me well i i think it, it, it kind of piques me what you said about gen con where you said it's a roll of the dice whether you get a good gm or not so tell me what makes a good gm what makes a good especially because especially you said you were playing a lot of od and d like what makes a good od and d dm that's interesting because that is a like there are there are probably universals for gms but then also there is a difference between an OD&D GM and a story game GM. And a basis of a lot of teasing and gentle argument between me and my story game coworkers is they claim I run uh, OSR games like a story gamer. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, the biggest thing is to put everything else aside and it is about the story you and your players are creating. And the players have an equal part of that, even though you're there to help pull them along in a way. Not in a railroady sense, but in a we are creating this together. I see there is an opportunity for you to do something cool to add to it. Please do that, which will trigger the next thing. Uh, so a lot of sharing spotlight and uh, making sure everyone has a voice. Um, uh, a very simple, oddly common thing I've run into is please do not run your sexual fantasies for me at your table. I I don't think anybody wants that. <laughs> like, like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Like, uh, like, like, how so? I don't understand. Um, whenever people are writing their own adventures, uh, you just need to to be aware of what you're doing. So if your adventure includes um, child sex slaves and the pre-gen characters there's a lot of attention to their bus size just, just please don't do that mm, okay. <laughs> okay fair fair yeah see I think that's a 
that kind of gets to what you were talking about with your experiences as a female gamer that like that has something that just doesn't come up for me you know as a male gamer because we don't get that kind of attention and it's one of those problems i'm very interested in solving in you know for the not necessarily solving but i guess helping to make better in the community because i hear about it often and it's just one of those things when I hear about it, it's just like, what? And I've heard about it so many times now. I It doesn't phase me anymore, you know? Now I'm just kind of like, yeah, how do we, what do we do about this? How do we stop this? Well, I know. And I think the yeah. X cards helped helped a little, but, eh. I'll, I'll get back to the DM thing. I'm sorry that we got sidetracked. But I will say, I think the dudes who were at that table were more uncomfortable than me in that particular situation. <laughs> Um, and you know, it, it, it depends. Like I do recall a Hyperborea game where, uh, everyone left the female character on the table for me to pick up. Um, and when I didn't, and I made one, this person that I consider a friend who's an older man play the lady, I may have, uh, my character may have been slightly inappropriate towards his. It felt you know, little little bit of revenge. It was fun. And he, he played along. Uh, I don't want to say there's a difference between running for women and men. I, I think, like, I have run stuff that has made men incredibly uncomfortable. So sometimes it's about buy-in. Whenever I run Bluebeard's Bride, you're buying into the idea that I'm going to make you super uncomfortable with sexual content. So it's not just about sex. It's also the little things, like leaving the last female character for me. Um, but it is a big problem and there are a lot of things that factor into it. Now, um, in terms of like just sort of the demographics of the gaming community, right? Uh, when, when people talk about say comic books, they talk about how Vertigo comics changed the demographics of comic readers and brought a lot of females in. And now here we are, you know, 20, 30 years after the original Vertigo. And there's, I feel like we're reaching parody in the comic book world where it's where, where the world of comic books, like comic cons and, and the experience of going to comic stores and talking about that sort of thing, like is much more open to females than it was when I was say a teenager. And it was very kind of strange to see a female in a comic store with you. Um, the game, industry I feel is behind but that it's catching up uh how do you feel about the sort of parody that you encounter at cons do you feel like uh I, I mean I've only been going to cons game cons for like a few years I didn't used to do them I used to see the gaming as this thing I only did at home and now that I go to cons I see a lot more females than I would have imagined do you feel like the 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 world of parody is catching up there, or like how far do you think we have to go before it's like a fifty fifty kind of thing? That's much harder to to answer than GM tips, um, which is okay. I can say from my personal experience, while I have seen more women at conventions than whenever I first started going, um, we're still not nearly at half. Um, I know I get more women at my table because they see female GM and they want to play with me because they know I won't do gross stuff. And then they find out I do because I'm running my invitations, but it's different. Uh, but, you know, I, I still not too long ago had the experience of going to a smaller convention and walking into the women's restroom and the lights were off because no women had been there uh, 
you know, so not just in attendance, but especially if you look at publishing uh, and designing. You know, I got started designing because of a hacking for women workshop that I went to. Because I was like, eh, I'll give it a try. Maybe I'll like it. And it's like, oh, I do like it. Um, and my particular company, we're minority owned. Uh, there are, you know, myself and Marissa and Mark is a person of color. And then we have our token white guy, Brendan. Um, but we're unusual. And, and so a lot of the women that I know who are game designers um, may not have their own companies. Their names aren't well known. Um, and their games maybe don't get played as much. So we have to take extra steps to make sure that happens. Um, on the organization that I belong to, the uh, Indie Game Developer Network, um, recently one of the, the members was like, hey, this 13-year-old girl is getting bullied because she plays games. Would any of y'all want to you know, give her some games? And we're all like, yes, give her all the games. Um, so there's, there's stuff like that that's happening that the players don't see, um, you know, and there's still a lot of, you know, weirdness whenever I'm at a convention and, and I'm wearing a badge that says GM and my male partner is next to me with a regular, you know, regular attendee badge and people will talk to him and not me. But, sorry, I got ranty. <clears throat> no, that's okay. It's, it's. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I'm interested in because it's all those little microaggressions that we all have to be, you know, on the lookout for and and better about saying, you know, no, this is the person you need to be talking to and and kind of correcting that behavior. Yeah. Cool. So um, what would you like to, to share with us about uh, New Mexicon uh, and kind of, you know, what, what draws you to that, you know, and, and what are your experiences there and what do you hope people are going to get out of it? Thank you for that segue. That was very nicely done. Um, this is only my second New Mexicon. So um, I was there last year uh, terrorizing people with velvet gloves and lamentations. <laughs> um, I was running a Zakharov adventure, uh, the one with the, the haunted house. Uh, so between that and Bluebeard, it was all the haunted houses all the time. But I really liked it. It was small enough. It seemed like a lot of people knew each other. But they didn't make me feel um, out of place. Like, people were very nice to me. Uh, and I knew enough people that it was comfortable. Um, I love having game rooms where we're alone in the room. That it's not like a big space with eight tables and I have to yell. Um, especially Bluebeard, it horror works better when you can be quiet sometimes, you know? Um, so having private space is excellent. Uh, and then the convention staff are very nice, and I can say that even though they're my friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, this will only be my second time. They, they um, because cause it's, it's, it's on Kickstarter, it's funded, so the Kickstarter's over. Did you have to do the Kickstarter in order to get a ticket, or will people be do, doing tickets at the door? Uh, you can still buy badges, uh, like the day of. I think you just got a discount if you used the Kickstarter. Okay, great, cool. Well, um, I don't know if you know this. I suspect you don't, but Adam and I actually sponsored your room. Did you know this? 
<laughs> Nicholas Phil, he, he just said it was a Denver-based podcast, and I'm like, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> I am so excited that you sponsored my room. Yeah, yeah, we we want um, the Lamentations game going on in the Full Metal RPG room, so yes. we're gonna um, we're gonna send some stuff over for you to distribute to the players there. Excellent um, to help to because we, we just want to get the word out about um, about Lamentations, and we support the work that you're doing uh, with it, and just in general. And so I just really think it, it's a it's a synchronization of like a lot of a lot of things that we're very happy to be part of. And we're very happy to, the, to, to on some level, uh, forward that work that you're doing uh, there in New Mexico. So we're, 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 especially having talked to you now, we're very excited <laughs> to have our brand associated with yours. Uh, you're, you're doing a lot for us <laughs> by running that game. Um, do you have, is, for the final question, just as we're getting ready to, to, to wrap up. Oh, Adam's got one more. Here we go. Give you, give you Adam, and then we'll do my last question. All right, so Brenda wants the last question. My last question is, what is your favorite Lamentations of the Flame Princess spell, and why is it Summon? <laughs> oh, you guys are adorable. I do love Summon. It's like, it's that combination of we're going to sit down and get through, you know, a couple of pages to get this done while everyone watches, which feels very like Magic User, right? Like, if you're a Magic User, it wasn't just Bam Magic Missile. You would have to have all your books out and your incense and your candles and you'd be chanting and, and it evokes that for me. Um, and I love it when players get fucked over. I won't lie. <laughs> but it's it's equal opportunity. I had a, a character get lost to a summon spell. She became one with the demon. So, like, I also equally enjoyed that. <laughs> It's just one of the happiest moments in a Lamentations game when somebody looks at their spell sheet. Because I've run it at cons a couple times, and they go, I have this thing called Summon. <laughs> Maybe I should use it. And then you're like sitting there rolling for like, because they they're never high enough level to make it work. And it's like, it go, almost goes immediately to that, like, the manifestation of death as an idea or whatever, you know? And you're just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's the highlight of the con for me. Um, I will say. Do you say... have any other spells? Well, that? I will say my favorite part is always it's like the magic users all I'm going to cast summon. Everyone else is like run out of the room and bar the door after them. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. Um, really I got excited about that. I will let you know after I finish the giant of magic because I have a feeling I will love some of the spells in there. <laughs> cool. Cool. Right on. Um, do you have any games that you want to to recommend to our to our listeners? I'm sure that they're going to be on the lookout for the Velvet Glove, uh, Bluebeard's Bride. Um, obviously, if they listen to this podcast and are not already well aware of Lamentations of the Flame Princess, that should be on their effing radar by now. But um, <laughs> is there anything else that you'd like to uh, like, like, like maybe that they haven't heard of? What, what would you put in front of our listeners? Would you say, look, take a look at this. Hmm. That is an excellent question. Well, clearly, if they haven't played it, I would definitely say Apocalypse World, just because it is very different. Um, and it's it's fun. I mean, who does not like the apocalypse has happened, and now you got to shoot people in order to get some water? You know, that's, that's just fun. Um, I would kind of suggest looking at some of uh, Kyle Chenier's work. Um, he does a lot of, like, fun 
weird lamentation adjacent or actual lamentation adventures um, like he did the Willy Wonka one. Uh, Blood and the Chocolate. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is fun. Um, and Kyle's a lovely person. Um, hmm. I might actually be looking at my, all my gaming stuff. Oh, and <laughs> then... Like gazing at the books. And then the uh, stuff that Clint Krauss does, uh, like the Stygian Garden of Abelia Plem. Like, there's some very delicate, dark kind of stuff going on there. That's really fun. I love that guy. He's a uh, vacant ritual assembly, right? Yes! I love that yeah. zine. I love that zine, and uh, I keep waiting for um, Driftwood Versus to come out. Yeah. And even th- even though it's very late, I am super patient for that because everything that he's shown makes that setting is going to be fucking bonkers good when it comes out. Bonkers good. I'm yeah. Like he he can take his time. I know it will be beautiful when we get it. And finally, if they don't already know it, just anything by Scott Princess and Patrick Stewart. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Great. Well, um, Sarah Doombringer, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. Uh, thank you for uh, devoting an hour to us. We'll, we'll, we're going to go ahead and, and, and let you off the hook now. But, uh, you know, you are welcome anytime on Full Metal RPG. So stay please stay in touch with us. I hope that we'll be able to have you back at a future time so we can discuss more horror movies at the very <laughs> least. Like, for instance, Mindhunter. I mean, all this stuff you're talking about with, like, with like Bluebeard and stuff. I mean, did you watch Mindhunter? You watched oh, Mindhunter, yeah. right? <laughs> okay, good. Awesome, awesome. All right, great. Well, uh, thank you so much for having us and uh, or for coming by, and uh, have a good day. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This was a delight. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. It was great talking to you. Thank you.